0: A number of years ago, a woman was at a bus stop, and she noticed that there was a bag rustling and kind of moving by itself, and she didn't really think anything of it. She thought, you know, maybe it was just a squirrel, and so she didn't really pay much attention, but it just kept on moving and rustling, and so um, her curiosity got the best of her, and she went over to look look at the bag, and to her shock and almost to her horror, this is a true story, inside of it was, a two-day-old baby. A two-day-old baby was sitting in, in this bag just at a bus stop. And and she thought, you know, oh, the mother must have forgotten the child. You know, this this must have been a complete accident. Like no mother would just leave their child at a bus stop in a bag. And so in that moment, she had a choice. She she had a decision to make. She could either just ignore the child, she could think, well, it's it's someone else's responsibility, or she could choose to embrace the child. Thankfully, in that moment, she chose to embrace the child. She, she took the child into her arms and into her hands, and she went to the police and, and reported this baby that was missing to hopefully find the parents and find help. 2,000 years ago, God literally and figuratively dropped a child off on the doorstep of this world in Bethlehem. He was conceived miraculously by the Virgin Mary, by the Holy Spirit. And like the lady at the bus station, we have a choice. We can choose to either ignore the child, we can think that it's someone else's responsibility, or we can choose to embrace the child. So who was this child, and what's the significance for us today? Well, hold on, because we're beginning a new sermon series today called The Mystery of the Manger. And there are lots of mysteries that revolve around the manger, some that are maybe a little bit hard to understand. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be discussing topics and, and ideas revolving around the manger and the importance for us today that hopefully won't be a mystery anymore. If you're a fan of Scooby-Doo, I'm I'm a big fan of Scooby-Doo, Fred would often say, well, gang, looks like we got another mystery on our hands. And so why is the birth so important? Why is the birth so important? Well, God did something amazing, miraculous even. This was not an ordinary birth. Rather, it was the supernatural. It was the incarnation of God himself. It was God revealing himself through this child. It was God taking up residence with us. Who was this child? Well, many of us understand that this child was God, but more specifically, it was his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus' birth was foretold by prophets. It was proclaimed by an angel. He was conceived miraculously in a virgin by the Holy Spirit. God walked and lived among us and lived a sinless life in order to bring people out of darkness and into light and hope. He is, and we believe, our Savior, Jesus Christ. John 3.17 God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus came to redeem, to restore, to deliver us from the penalty and power of sin in our life. The real mystery of Christmas is, yeah, it can be a little bit hard to understand how Jesus was born, but I think the real mystery this Christmas is why would someone not embrace the hope, the gift of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Our topic this morning is God with us. And this is not a foreshadow. Mariah's not pregnant, just in case you were wondering uh, right here. I'm just going to place it over there. Our topic this morning is God with us. And for the purpose of today, we're exploring the importance of the name and title of Jesus. So we're exploring the name and title of Jesus at his birth. Have you ever noticed that people are more bold to do something when people go with them? You know, a person is more up to doing a challenge when a friend does it with them. A child is more likely to get on maybe a scary ride if their parent sits with them and does it with them. A couple is more likely to go on a cruise if if another couple does it with them. I have one friend who kind of pushes and nudges me outside my comfort zone at times, things that I typically would not do on my own. I remember a number of years ago, we were in Florida and he had the idea, let's rent two Sea-Dews and let's go look at sharks. (laughs) Let's go look at sharks in the ocean. And I remember riding my Sea-Dew and a shark went underneath the Sea-Dew and I couldn't believe it. But when I think about that experience, I only would have done it with that friend. I only would have done it with that friend. And the reason I did it is because he was with me. You see, the devil wants us to believe That we're alone, we're isolated, we're abandoned. But God's word reminds us that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. The hope and promise this Christmas is that God is with us. But for those who choose to embrace him, they experience his hope, his love, his joy, his peace. Because he's not just God with us, but he can become personal in us. He becomes God in us he becomes god in us. So if you have your bibles or tablets or smartphones or the scripture is going to be up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1 18 to 35 and this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Is, by, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So just to understand the context and the setting of this day... At this point in Jewish history, the nation of Israel was overtaken by the Roman Empire. The Jews were heavily taxed. They were heavily oppressed. Jews had no rights whatsoever. Romans had all the rights. They could do whatever they wanted. Roman soldiers mistreated the Jewish people. And for hundreds of years, the Jews waited for the anticipation of of an arrival of of a Messiah, someone that they thought would deliver them to free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And in our passage of Scripture, we find out that Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant and Joseph was not the father. And so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But before he did that act, God intervened. God communicated to Joseph through an angel. And he described that Mary's pregnancy was his plan. It was his plan. And like the woman at the bus stop, Joseph had a choice. He could either choose to embrace Mary and this baby that was soon to be born, or he could choose to divorce Mary, to ignore her, and to just leave this all alone and walk away. But thankfully, we see Joseph's decision in verse 24. It says, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do, and he took Mary home as his wife. Joseph, you see, had every right to divorce Mary. Yet even though he didn't fully understand God's plan, he chose to believe and obey God and set aside the cost of his reputation, what other people may say or think if they heard that Mary was pregnant and he wasn't the father. Joseph made the hard choice and demonstrated faith and trust in God rather than just the cultural norm, divorcing Mary, which would have been the easy choice. So it is because of Joseph's prompt obedience to God that we see him embrace this child as his own, to raise him, and we understand our first point that the baby in the manger is Jesus. The baby in the manger is Jesus. This is his God-given name. Now, I recognize in this room, everyone has a name. You know, Our name marks and it identifies us. It's more than just ink on a page. It's more than just, you know, our social media name. And over time, as people get to know us, our name brings up emotions and experiences. And most often, you know, our parents name us, and they usually have a good reason for doing so. You see, when I hear the name, Mariah, I immediately think of my wife. I immediately think of my wife. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Immediately think of my wife, Mariah. I, just any that I hear that name, just either memories or thoughts or experiences or joys, I'm just reminded of her loving and gentle personality. And she's a little bit tenacious, too, um, which I'm thankful for. But anytime somebody says the name Mariah, I just immediately think of my wife. And you see, names are precious. That is why we don't like our name mocked or we don't like our name made fun of or even misspelled. You know, funny nicknames are one thing, but disrespect and slander of our name is something completely different. And in God's word, God makes it clear in scripture that Jesus' name is to be held in high respect. Jesus' name is to be held in high respect. Philippians 2.9 says, God gave him the name that is above every other name. The apostles proclaimed, there is no name under heaven by which men are saved. The Lord's prayer starts with, and hallowed be thy name. Holy is the name of the Lord. And the third commandment that God gave, the third commandment talks about, do not use the Lord's name in vain. The Bible doesn't want us to forget the holy importance of the name of Jesus. However, And unfortunately, Jesus' name can be tarnished when in a fit of rage and anger we say, OMG, or Jesus. People attribute his name to be a swear word rather than the holy name that saves us, our Savior. And so what is the significance of Jesus' name? Well, it's clear that naming the baby was not left up to Joseph and Mary. Rather, it was predetermined by God himself. In verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek-English equivalent to the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. And so it helps us understand that the name of Jesus means salvation. Jesus' name means salvation, and he became a human to be our Savior. Now, to be clear, Jesus existed before he was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. In John 1.1, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." When, Jesus, uh, when John says that Jesus is the Word, he's saying Jesus is God and man in one person. God chose Jesus to be his messenger, to speak out the Word, and to reveal and tell about himself. Jesus is God. He is eternal. He is the second person in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But for 30 years, Jesus humbled himself And was made in human likeness and lived in what we now call Israel. But in verses 1 and chapter 18, Jesus' full name is mentioned. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And the word Christ is the Greek and English equivalent to the Hebrew name and title of Jesus, which is... Messiah. Christ and Messiah are interchangeable. And it means that Messiah and Christ is, he is the anointed one. He is the anointed one. He is God himself. Jesus is his human name, but Christ or Messiah is one of his titles. Now in the Old Testament, prophets and and kings were anointed by oil To set them apart for important positions that they would hold. The anointing was a sign from God that they were chosen and consecrated for their very important work. And in Isaiah 61 verse 1 it says, The Lord has anointed me, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness prisoners. In the Gospels, the apostles declared, Jesus is the Messiah. In Matthew 16, 16, one of the disciples said of Jesus, he said, "'You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God.'" Jesus confirmed he was the Messiah in a conversation with a woman, and he said, I am he that you are talking and looking for. And Jesus demonstrated he was the Messiah, in which we call the suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, 5, which says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He is the one chosen and anointed by God to save His people from their sins. And as the Messiah, as the Christ, He offers forgiveness, salvation from sin, and a special place in heaven for you and for me to be in His kingdom. A theologian called Keith Matheson is quoted as saying, Jesus not only understood Himself to be the promised Messiah, He also says and and does things throughout the Gospels that make it clear he understood himself to be God incarnate. And there's a song that we sing in church that goes like this. Jesus, Messiah, the name above all names. He's blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. He's the rescue for sinners. The ransom from heaven. He's Jesus, Messiah, and He's Lord of all. The meaning behind Jesus' name gives light to His mission, why Jesus was born. Notice what the angel said in the latter part of verse 21 He said, Because He will save His people from their sins. Because before Jesus was even born, he was destined to be the fulfillment of God's good plan for this world. There's a theological word that goes like this, protovangelium. That's a pretty big word. Protovangelium. And it talks about the first recordance of the gospel message. The gospel message is the good news. And we first see this word in Genesis 3.15, in the Garden of Eden. And Genesis 3.15 talks about how someone would come to crush Satan's head from, uh, for the sin that he in- introduced into this world. And so even in the book of Genesis, God is even talking about the good news. There is someone coming. There is someone, an arrival. There is a Messiah. There is a Savior that is going to come to save us from our sins. And the angel says he will save it comes from the Greek word sozo, which means he will heal, he will rescue, he will deliver us from danger. And it refers to Jesus' mission, that he is to be our savior and deliver us from the penalty and power of sin, offer forgiveness. He is our spiritual salvation. Jesus has come to give us spiritual Salvation. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities and the darkness of this world. Jesus has come to set us free, amen, from the darkness of who Satan is. That's what Jesus has come to do. Our battle is not with one another, but our battle is with Satan. And Jesus has come to give us spiritual freedom from him. And I love what one of the commentaries said. They said, Jesus was not so much the man born to be king as he was the man born to be our savior. He was born to be our savior. Now there was much Jewish speculation in this time of a Messiah, a savior who would redeem Israel from the Roman oppression. But there was no speculation that the Messiah would give His own life as the ransom. There was no speculation that this Messiah would give His own life for people. Matthew 20, 28 said, "'The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many.'" Because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, everyone is born with a sinful nature. Psalm 51, five says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from when my mother conceived me. We all do things that are sinful, and we owe God an unrepayable debt. And so think of it like this. Our sins are like crimes against God. And every crime has a penalty. The Bible is clear that the penalty in the wages of sin is death. And if we die without our sins forgiven, there is eternal punishment, eternal separation from God for our debt and our crimes and our sin against Him. And if you think of all the crimes or all the wrong things that we have done, it's probably a pretty big list. Now multiply that by all the people, past, present, and future, all the things that we've done against God, That's a pretty insurmountable list, isn't it? Things that we've done to rebel against God. And so the question remains, who or what could pay that debt? Who or what could pay that debt to God of all the sins for all people, past, present, and future? Well, we know only the Holy Son of God, which Hebrews 4.15 talks about, who was without sin, could pay that size of debt. And in paying, he saved us from the penalty of our sins, but also the debt that we owe to God for all people, for all time. 1 John 2.2 says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and also for the sins of the world. Because Jesus became our savior, earlier the penalty and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. God restores, Jesus restores our relationship to Him. And so, what does this mean for us today? Well, the name of Jesus specifies what He does. The name of Jesus specifies what He does. He is our Savior. We believe Jesus saves Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word. Like the woman at the bus stop, we have a choice. We have a choice to either embrace this child or ignore him. To embrace the miraculous incarnation of God himself through Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yet to all those who receive him, to accept him, to believe, to have faith and trust in, they become children of God. We become part of the family of God. We are adopted into God's family, and he is our heavenly father. Someone wisely once said, The birth of Jesus made possible not just a new way of understanding life, but a new way of living it but a new way of living it through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the mystery of the manger. It is good news. It is great news. We can be forgiven and reconciled to a holy God because Jesus came to be our Savior. Our second point is this. Not only is Jesus' name synonymous with being our Savior and Messiah, but the baby in the manger is Emmanuel. The baby in the manger is Emmanuel, and this is Jesus's title at his birth. And you see, we have different titles for different positions. There's doctors, there's pastors, there's professors, there's queens, there's prime ministers, there's premiers, and their title represents the position that they're held in and typically commands a level of respect. And most often, I found this pretty interesting in my in, in my study this week. Most often in the gospels, Jesus is actually referred to as his titles. Most often they say, you know, rabbi, teacher, lord, master, he's the son of God. And I found it just interesting that, you know, the title helps us understand, you know, just who who he is too and what he represents. And so what is the significance of Jesus' title? Well, in our passage of Scripture, the angel said in verse 23, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Matthew is highlighting the words of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, in which the prophet predicted the virgin birth, the promised Messiah, 700 years before Jesus was born. The hope of one day God making himself present with his people. Now to be true to scripture, we are are able to see through the Old Testament that God has always been with the nation of Israel. We see it in Exodus 13.21. God revealed himself through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to help guide and direct his people. He also revealed himself through the Ark of the Covenant. And the psalmist once said in Psalm 139.7, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? But never was God so clearly present with his people than he was through his son, Jesus Christ. It was literally God living, walking, talking among us. In Hebrews 1.3, we heard it earlier in our worship set that the Son is the exact representation of His being. And you see, the significance of Jesus' title, Emmanuel, is that God is no longer in heaven or objects. But He made Himself fully accessible, visible, relatable, and knowable in the person of Jesus. Jesus came as the mediator between God and man. He came as our Savior and our Messiah to restore that relationship. You see, God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us, even when we reject Him, ignore Him, and don't want anything to do with Him. He is here, and we believe God is reaching out to us. Remember what I said earlier about how You know, we're more apt to do something. We're more influenced by who is with us. You know, when our friends or our parents or our siblings do something with us. Well, today we can live a bold, holy, and courageous life because God is with us. God is with us. And so this begs the question, why did God come to be with us? Why did God come to be with us? Well, as we've said earlier, Jesus is the whole, is the only one who could pay our debt to God. So he is our savior, he is our Messiah, he is the anointed holy one of God. But Jesus also came so that he could know by experience what it is like to live a human life, to be susceptible to temptation and pain, to go through hardship, difficulties, and feeling like we are abandoned. Jesus came to identify with us, in which Hebrews 2.17 talks about. Now, to be clear, Jesus was and is and always will be God, but for 33 years, He lived a human life. And in heaven, God never experiences physical pain. Scripture tells us that God is not temptable, and He doesn't tempt anyone, James 1.13. But while Jesus lived in this world, Jesus experienced physical pain. He experienced physical pain. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted just like we are, but he never sinned. He was fully human, fully God. He was tempted, he went through same experiences, but he never sinned. And because he lived among us, he now serves in heaven as our faithful high priest interceding for us on behalf of the God because he can identify with our pains and our struggles and things that we go through. And wouldn't it be interesting to hear the conversation between Jesus and God? And so let's just pretend here just for a moment. Romans 8.34 talks about this. And let's just pretend this is the conversation between Jesus and God. God, they're trying to live a God-fearing life. They're trying to be Christ-like, but Satan's power and influence is hard to ignore. Their minds are infallible. They're easily deceived by temptations and evil. And even though they do not earn or deserve our forgiveness by their actions, they're asking for mercy. And because grace is a gift, how about we extend forgiveness and pardon them? I don't know if it goes something like that, but just think, God is, Jesus is going to bat for us. Jesus is speaking to God the Father because He understands through experience. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was God's presence on earth. But since Jesus' death and resurrection, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, now represents God's presence and can dwell within us. It's not just God with us through Jesus, but now it is God dwelling within us. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer, the faithful follower of Jesus, and He takes on the role of Jesus As our teacher, our encourager, our comforter, He is God with us personally. The Holy Spirit does not just walk with us, but He enables us to make choices that are holy and pleasing and God-honoring. And He empowers us for effective service. So the significance of Emmanuel, God with us, is that God reached out. He initiated contact with us in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. And today we can choose to have God dwell within us. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, the title of Jesus specifies who he is. He is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. His promise is that he will never leave you. you. He will never forsake you. And you can experience his presence, his comfort, his hope, his joy, his peace in a real personal way in your heart. But it begins with a choice. We can choose to either embrace the child, the mystery of the manger, or we can choose to ignore it. It's someone else's responsibility. It's not really for me. We can choose to accept him. By faith, repent of our sins and accept his payment on our behalf, or we can choose to ignore him, to reject God's plan of salvation. The choice is ours. No one can make it for us. Just like the lady at the bus station who stood up, picked up, and embraced the child as their own, so too we can make a choice or not of whether we will embrace this child, Jesus, who was given for you and for me. And so let's recap here. Our first point was the baby in the manger is Jesus. And the point is this. God wants us to embrace Jesus and accept him into our heart as personal Lord and Savior. The second point was that the baby in the manger is Emmanuel. And the point is is that God wants us to experience God with us in order to help us today and save us for eternity. I came across this poem, and it goes something like this. He was born in an obscure village. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. He then became an itinerant preacher. He never held office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the public turned against him. 19 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned have not affected the life of a man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. So what about you? Where are you at today? Have you embraced the child? Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as personal Lord and Savior? It's as simple as A, B, C. A, we acknowledge that there are things within us that are sinful. We acknowledge that there are things that we've done to rebel against God, But B, we believe that Jesus Christ, He was the atoning sacrifice. He was given to be our Savior, to pay our debt to God. And C, we confess that we need that Savior, and we invite Him to be Lord of our life. Now, for most of us, I'm pretty sure that we have done that. But have we at times maybe not understood the holy importance of Jesus' name? Have we maybe at times in a fit of rage or anger said, OMG, or used the word Jesus? Or maybe we've allowed other people to speak poorly of Jesus and we've just remained silent. Is there an area in our life that maybe we've chosen to ignore God's plan, what he's asking us to do, rather than fully surrender and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And so for our own personal time, just for the next few moments here, with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, let's take a personal inventory of our life. What is God communicating to us? What is God asking of us? And are we going to choose to embrace what God's asking or are we going to choose to ignore what he's asking us to do? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And we recognize that today, Lord, you're not just a child anymore. But you are our Savior, our Lord. You are our faithful High Priest. And you are interceding on our behalf. And Lord, we are so undeserving, but we are so grateful and thankful. Thank you, Lord, that you first loved us. Thank you, Lord, that you gave your Son to be with us. But not only to be with us, but to be in us too. And so Jesus, we pray for your Holy Spirit to transform, change lives. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.